and welcome to the Dog Tales podcast. I'm speaking this morning with Dr. Sarah New Pearson, who is a registered and qualified Australian veterinarian. She's got over 30 years experience treating a wide range of health problems in domestic animals. She practices classical homeopathy and integrative veterinary medicine. Dr. Pearson's practice is in Hamlin Heights in Geelong, and I am super excited to speak with her this morning. She has a world of knowledge. Welcome, Dr. Pearson. Thank you, Sherelle. It's a pleasure. The Dog Tales podcast is all things doggo, but I'm really fascinated to hear your story, your journey into your practice and your communication and understanding of the dogs and everything that's made up who you are. It is a journey and when you are a certain way and aspire to be a certain way, you often don't realise that that's very different from everybody else. So I started practising regular veterinary medicine over 35 years ago. I was very, very, very fortunate to get into veterinary school and I take that as a real gift. And I've always had a connection, an understanding, an appreciation, a reverence for the natural world. And most people who speak about becoming a vet talk about I've always been an animal lover, I've always had pets, I always looked after the cats and dogs. But I used to go frog hunting in the bush <laughs> and I had a family farm and I was always interested and inspired, but it was a very, very wide, overarching love for the natural world that inspired me to want to be of service to the animal world. Initially, I thought I was going to be working with production animals for the benefit of humans, etc. But then it very quickly morphed into an understanding that the animals needed advocates. And that's what I became, an advocate for the animal. Yeah, because they can't speak. No, well, they, they do, but we don't listen. <laughs> they can't articulate words, which is where we tend to function as a human being in our mind, but they very, very clearly communicate with us. And this has become very obvious even in more recent years, um, the veterinary conference a few years ago had a very special guest Temple Grandin who most people know through um, the movie and various other avenues she directly and clearly communicated with those cows and cattle in order to be able to change the welfare of those beasts so it is very very possible and anyone who owns an animal knows very well that they communicate with us in ways that we can't necessarily articulate because they don't, but in very clear ways. Yeah, and I think if you just sit and watch uh, somebody with their dog and the interaction, those beautiful little souls are chatting away the whole time. They watch their human, they move, they feel their stress, and you can just sit back and watch that relationship happen and if anyone's like me, I talk to them all the time. I know they don't speak back, but, you know, I chat away to the dogs all the time because I know that we communicate on perhaps a very different level than, as you say, humans do. They have a very simple life and they often are looking for joy and, and opportunity to express that, which is, you know, if you're living down by the beach, you can see the, the sheer joy and 
freedom that they express when they're given free run but their job is to look after their people and their job is to look out for their people and their loyalty is to their people so if their people are the sort of people that like taking them out to fun places they're going to have a party down there so they will enjoy meeting each other but they'll always keep an eye on where their people and they will always be doing their job even when they're having fun yeah you only have to watch the dogs run on the beach it is absolute pure joy they are smiling that they're so uninhibited and i often think gosh i wish i could just be like that and just run run like a dog in the sea or whatever but you're absolutely correct they're never far in their their demeanor and their eyesight everything from where their owners are it's astounding so obviously your your love of all animals, including the frogs, <laughs> has led you into homeopathy and the integrative veterinary medicine that you do. Can you explain perhaps just what homeopathy is? Sure. So homeopathy is a system of medical practice that arose over 200 years ago from a visionary man called Samuel Hahnemann, who was a, a regular doctor in Germany back at the turn of the 19th century when he discovered that many of the medical practices of the time were barbaric and brutal. As we know they were, bloodletting, purging, laxatives, the medicines were harsh and cruel. The practices, with the best of intentions, were not giving the results. And he, he decided that he would leave the medical profession because he was disillusioned with it. So he became um, a translator. He spoke seven languages. As I said, he was a visionary and a very, very special person who developed this system of medicine. He left the medical profession to translate medical textbooks and botanical textbooks in order to pay the bills to feed his very large family. So in doing so, he discovered that the picture of some of the toxicological pictures of these substances were exactly the same as would happen if you in the disease for example he was writing about kinkona bark which became the treatment for malaria and in doing that he discovered that the symptoms of kinkona bark when it was given to someone when someone took it they were poisoned by it looked like malaria and he decided that if a system if, if a medicine looks like a disease maybe there's a parallel there between disease and cure and he developed or expanded on the concept of like cures like it wasn't a new concept it's been around since Socrates time or beyond you know BC like cures like meaning something of the same thing can fix the thing that it's caused and so essentially homeopathy is similia similibus curenta like cures like so you take something that in nature will give symptoms to a healthy person that look like the disease and then you match the picture of disease to the symptom. In a nutshell, that's as simple as I can make it. And the medicines are taken from nature. They're taken from minerals, animals, plants. They're potentized, which means they're made more powerful by dilution. This is the obstacle to people accepting it because they think, how can something so dilute possibly work? without realising that all of the endogenous body chemicals, all of the homeostatic mechanisms in our living body work in nanomolecular sized particles and ultra-ultra dilutions of hormones. So he's really working with the body to help the body to overcome disease. Yeah, okay. And 
And that process is something that you've obviously studied and become very focused on within your animals and especially the, you know, your dogs and cats and the smaller animals. So you're able to bring all of that into your practice. It's a philosophy of medicine too, Sherelle. The, the, the most beautiful thing with homeopathy is it just speaks to the natural world in the way that it is a gift that is enabling the animals and the people to heal themselves. So as a philosophy of medicine, apart from the actual medicinal substances, which are the homeopathic medicines, homeopathy is a system of medicine that listens to what is required to bring health and addresses what is required to bring cure. Perhaps further than that, what is it that you actually do then in your practice that integrates the homeopathy? Okay, so the most important thing that I do is try to understand what has caused this animal to be unwell. People come to me because their dogs are unwell in a variety of different ways, usually with chronic long-standing illnesses of organic disease, but more and more and more lately with behavioural issues with anxiety and fears and distress. And that plays out into deeper pathology over time, skin disease, the whole gamut. It's all connected. It's all one disease. The one disease is this animal is not coping with its environment. It's not coping with what's happening to it, and it's not getting what it needs to be well. So what I do is I try to spend enough time with people and the homeopathic consultation is extended for a very good reason that you can't get information in a few minutes. So they're always the initial consultation is always an hour because people need to be comfortable, animals need to be comfortable and I need to be able to observe the interactions between the people and the animal and also what the animal's trying to tell us with its symptomatology. So everything that the animal is doing is a clue to what it needs to be well. So what I do is I bring them in, I observe them from the moment they walk in the door, I put the people at ease. If they've travelled a long way, which they often have, they're often tea. There's always a connection between the person and myself because there's always some common factor in our background or our history. Just briefly, it's about the animal, not the person, but it's a package deal. That animal is nothing without the person and vice versa. So you need to be able to relate to the whole package. I'm not using package in a derogatory. They're very special people and animals. (laughs) So forgive me if that sounds insulting. (laughs) And that's what I do. And then we spend the next hour working out what's going on. And very often the people themselves know straight away what I'm talking about and the animals prick up their ears and say, yeah, yeah, you listen to this. This is what we need. And they sort it out. And then the the homeopathic medicine is just a a bit of icing on the cake. So do you feel that these last couple of years, as you've mentioned, with all the, I guess, the fear and anxiety that's been around for people, that the the dogs absolutely picked up on that? Oh, absolutely. I haven't. I haven't had a quiet day and the phone's ringing off the hook and the emails are going crazy because people are really concerned that their animals are wound up and, and distressed and anxious. Anxiety is the buzzword of the decade mm-hmm. or the, of, the, of the, the, the month or the week or the year, <laughs> anyway, you look at it. And um, they really don't know what to do about it, but the animals are just reflecting what's going on in, in the society and the household, you know, wh- whether, whether it's, you know, um, 
anxiety, distress, um, loneliness, despair, any of those things. They're, they're, they're trying to help the people be well, but they're running out of energy. They don't have enough. They don't have enough help to help their people enough. So their symptoms of anxiety are the fact that they are immeasurably patient with everything we do to them, everything we try to do for them, whether it's good or not or otherwise. They accept it through their unconditional surrender to their people and then they have to try and hold their strength and they're finding it increasingly difficult to do that because we're distracted and we have frenetic lives and we've been under a lot of stress lately too so of course they are. Do you see then the anxiety showing up in physical symptoms like skin rashes or I don't know what that might be but is it actually starting to show its hand physically for them? Absolutely. If you think about the homeopathic concept of medicine that I described to you, it's really a quantum reality. So we are energy made matter and that energy will go anywhere it needs to go to show clearly a symptom and then it needs and it will shift around. So you'll get dogs that will have diarrhea, then they'll have skin rashes, then they'll be chewing their feet, then they'll be arcing up, then they'll be barking at the cat, then they'll be grumpy with the person. So the energy is always looking for a comfortable place to manifest itself, and that is the symptom that you're talking about. So if they're really upset or anxious, they're going to start licking and scratching and doing all sorts of bizarre things in order to get the help they need. And the only way they get that is if somebody understands what they're trying to tell us. And of course, owners, with their very best of intentions, can't possibly, without the training that a practitioner has, recognise what these signs are. Hence integrative medicine, hence homeopathy. Yeah. Just while we're on this, because I think this is this is an astounding aha moment maybe when we realise just how the fear and the anxiety has impacted our fur babies. What is it that we can then do as owners for, for ourselves, I guess, first and then for them or for them first or where do we go to from here even as just humans? That's a really, really good question because everybody has different things that make them happy. And, and I think what we're missing in the last couple of years is the happiness factor and the joy factor, like you were describing with the dogs at the beach. Now, anybody seeing a dog doing that cannot help but smile. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and that's what we, we need to be happy to be healthy. The, the, the essence yeah. and the crux of health is happiness. And we, we, we have been really stretched to being so unhappy in recent times for a whole variety of reasons that we've forgotten and we're unable to access that, that joy. Now, you know, I, I play lawn bowls, which brings me my joy, but, <laughs> but I also see the animals and they bring me joy. But, but what can we do? Well, I wouldn't tell people what would make them happy, but I really do firmly believe that meditation and a spiritual practice is the essence of found of founding ourselves into the higher reality in order to ground ourselves we're insecure in the world at the moment we've been so flung apart that we we need to reconnect and the connection comes through what i call the universal heart which is how the animals speak they speak to us through the universal heart, which is the larger reality that governs all of us. 
It's love. It, it, it's, it's finding love in the world. It's finding true divine love, not necessarily relationships, but they're very, very important for connecting to people. But remembering that we are all connected to each other. Sri Chinmoy, who is my meditation master, talks about a oneness world and never has this become more important than to understand we are of nature, we're part of nature and we belong to nature and we're all connected to each other and that will give us enough sustenance if we're able to tap into that and the only way to tap into that, I believe, is through experiencing the natural world and through meditation. Yeah. That's me That's me personally. Yeah, and, you know, that... I guess connection back to self will mean different things to different people, but I absolutely agree. And one of the reasons that podcast has come to fruition is the connections that I've seen between owners and their beautiful dogs and then the connection to others and the friendships that have been born and the need to come back together to self and to others is just critical at this time. And the dogs do that unconditionally without being asked without being paid, without anything. They just are, and we need to become far more just are with them. Yes. Well, Sri Chimai calls them our little brothers and sisters, but I go further than that and call them our friends, our teachers, our companions, our inspirers. And if they do get what they need, which is their um, regular food, water, love, freedom, they will give immeasurably back to us and then we will see how that works give and take give and take yeah it's interesting to watch um and I guess this is coming from my background in paramedicine but to attend a patient that's stressed and out of whack I guess for want a better word and I don't mean that disrespectfully but they're they're stressed and what have you that dog in that home is equally stressed and out of whack and it shows you very clearly how once you can even sit with that person and, and just calm the situation and, and build the trust and settle, that dog would settle and calm as well. So they tag team with us all the time. And I, I guess the importance of understanding what a great part we play in their lives, not just them in ours, but the part we play in their lives for their health is something that, you know, perhaps we need to, to do a little bit more consideration of and understanding of so to work with these integrative the medicine and the homeopathy is a beautiful way to start to understand their needs from a just bit different perspective well they're they're part of who we are and and i will digress but this is particularly relevant to what we're discussing many years ago a veterinarian in queensland wrote a book about how to talk to your dog or why we must talk to our dog now he was an anthropologist we all have different, you know, um, hats to wear in the veterinary profession, but he studied the history of mankind. There's always been a consideration that dogs were domesticated about 15,000 years ago from the grey wolf, and that was because that many years ago nobody can remember anything, and 15,000 <laughs> years is a really, really long time. But he's going back to over um, many hundreds of thousands of years ago when we coexisted on this earth with Neanderthal man. Now, I didn't realise that Homo sapiens coexisted with other predecessors of humankind for hundreds, for over 100,000 years they were there according to the records or the data, depending on your belief system. However, 
we prevailed and they didn't. Now, if you look at the Neanderthal ancestors of the, of the human beings, they had the long snouts and the beady eyes and the big ears, and they actually looked like animals because they had all of the attributes that the dogs have that we relinquished. So as Homo sapiens, as our cranium developed and our jaw receded and we developed the ability to articulate and plan and think and stand more upright and run, dogs and, and human beings co-evolved. So we've never had a time on Earth where he, a human being has not known what a dog is. We, we basically are one unit. We're one organism. Now, that is, that is a philosophy that not everybody will subscribe to, but it helps to explain that really close connection that dogs have to people in all countries of the world, yeah. in all walks of life. And why they're so important to us, because we're part of the same organism, for want of a better word. Now, my job as an integrity vet is to see that, to be an advocate for the dog and the person to, to, to maintain and strengthen that relationship that they have with each other. So whilst I'm an advocate for the animal, I'm looking to see how that person and that dog understand each other because that's the key to them both being happy. Yeah. Wow. It's a very intimate relationship, isn't it? People will say to me that they'd rather have – many people have said that they'd rather spend time with their dog than with their family, and, and this is just because they're in distress. But people will often choose their dogs over any person. Yeah because of the unconditional nature of the love, the relationship, the protection, and just because they don't demand. People think animals demand things of them, and, of course, they can be a little bit, you know, seeming to be irritable, asking for things all the time, but they're wanting to give as well. So yeah. they're unconditionally giving. Yeah, they're incredible. Can I just ask then, so how do you treat the animals? What modalities do you offer to work with, the, especially the dogs? So principally homeopathy, like I've described, but very often animals will already come to me on medical treatments because they've had a range of conditions over their lifetime. Now, most people who come to see me are wanting to get animals off the pharmaceuticals simply because they're expensive or they don't want to keep giving them or they're not sure it's helping the animal. So what I do is I try to work out... um, what can be used instead of those things in order to bring the same result. And if we think about the fact that most pharmaceutical medicines and drugs come from plants or things at some stage or another, some of them, many of them are synthetic now, but they're manufactured on the basis of biochemistry. So biochemical compounds can come from nature very, very effectively and that's what homeopathy has developed is thousands of medicines that come from nature whether they're from minerals or animal origin or plant origin, from a very sustainable and ethical manner but what i do is i try to um, see how the medicine can be applied to the animal to bring the desired effect of cure so i would use um uh herb diet diet is a very very big part of what i do i think you are what you eat and that that is, is very important for animals too. So working within the confines of a person's budget or availability of the food, I get them back onto a, a raw natural evolutionary diet. That's the hallmark of holistic or integrative practice. Feed animals appropriately to their species and dogs don't cook their food, so they, they I advocate for raw feeding, mm-hmm. which is not always possible. And there's a range of options there, and I always like to work with the person to work out what's best for them. I certainly don't bludgeon, bludgeon them and tell them they have to do this, but 
most people are looking for this kind of thing because they can feel in that the health benefits for the animal and for themselves. People want to be doing something for their dog to help them be well. They don't want to outsource that that responsibility to someone else. So the person needs a job to do to help their animal. So other modalities that you use with the dogs? I started um, stepping away from my regular veterinary practice uh, about 20 years ago whilst I was still working in a conventional clinic in Melbourne because I felt that there were many people coming in every week or every, every few weeks because they needed connection and validation more than that the animal was unwell. This sounds rather strange, but this was the cry and the plea that I heard from many people coming in with animals just because they wanted to talk to someone who was compassionate, could understand the animal, and they felt they were doing something. Now, consequent to that, if you've got an owner that's visiting the vet very, very frequently with very uh, little um, true satisfaction, then the animal's going to be agitated and exhibiting a whole range of symptoms too in order just to come in to see us. Yeah, yeah. Because, <laughs> because well, at least they've got someone that's listening, trying to, to listen to them or understand them or, or making the owner a bit happier. So the yeah. owners would come in because they need to have the, the pet being well so that they can be harmonious in the household. So to come long story short, I observed this happening through a number of cases and so I stopped giving anything to them other than my time and my reassurance, the good old bedside manner that we yeah. used to do, you know, years yeah. ago, the good old bedside manner, listening to them, spending time with them, knowing full well that there really wasn't a lot wrong with the animal other than it was distressed because the person was anxious. And so I started to use some hands-on therapy, which I realised now I could always do. I was always the go-to massage person when I was a child. My whole family would actually want me to, to massage them, and I never knew why. <laughs> and, and certain people have a very, very delicate touch and a very special um, way of physically touching and, and helping um, others and dogs. So I started doing just some gentle massage some gentle movements on the dog just holding them and list, trying to listen to them trying to really deeply connect at a, a spiritual level because that's how they communicate and they started to relax profoundly and I, I did all these little kind of just intuitive little moves like um, tweaks muscle things I didn't know what I was doing in all honesty and then years later when I came to Geelong, which is the the the, um, the seat of Tom Bowen's practice, Bowen Therapy, I thought, oh, I knew about Tom Bowen when I was at university. He died before I graduated. Geelong is the seat of Bowen, and I went and did a structured course in Bowen Therapy, mm -hmm. and I was astounded to notice and realise that what I'd been doing with those animals was exactly what Tom Bowen had developed into a system of medical practice of, of uh, restoring homeostasis through very gentle, subtle movements on the body. And I thought, wow, this is kind of interesting. <laughs> <laughs> 
So I do Bowen. Yeah. And then that developed into orthobionomy, which is another similar practice of just listening through the hands. And it's a bit like osteopathy. Anyone who's visited an osteopath knows that they seem to be doing nothing, but they're doing an amazing <laughs> amount of, you know, adjustment to your body because your body's doing it for itself. So what I'm trying to say, I suppose, is that if somebody or an animal is relaxed and trusting, they heal themselves. But getting them to that position of trust and relaxation is my job. Wow. Can you just tell me what that is again, the name of that modality? Orthobionomy. Many things have been taken by many people and, and redeveloped into different things. Equine positional release was developed by a friend of mine from orthobionomy. So most physical health practitioners for animals have taken systems that are intuitive to themselves, formalised them through some other regular structure and then mark or sold it as something else that they can teach somebody else. So there's subtle differences. We all have different ways of practising just as we all have different ways of being. But there are formalised structures of systems, orthobionomy, um, bone therapy, People have heard about Reiki. There's all sorts of physical but non-physical ways of bringing relief. Acupuncture. Most vets who practice integrative medicine have a physical modality. Emmet therapy, neurostructural integration, a whole range of them. And all those obviously are extremely beneficial for humans as well, but to be able to bring those modalities to the dogs. Yes. Well, that requires a a knowledge of animal anatomy and physiology, but we're all mammals, so it it is adaptable, um, and people have spent time adapting it across. I think the Bowen therapies now are taught as um, canine muscle release therapy or equine muscle release therapy. But I did do that by myself because I was already on a trajectory of doing that, and then Mr Bowen's work, totally blew me away and formalised the fact that, well, there's something in this because we have been living three decades apart and we're getting the same messages. So there's got to be something in that. Yeah. So, Dr Pearson, what do you notice with the dogs that you treat with any of these modalities, the energy work that you do? What do you notice as the results from that? In the human way of practicing Bowen therapy, you do a couple of little moves and you go out of the room and you wait a few minutes and come back. And it can take half an hour. Now, I noticed the animals were a bit impatient about that. So I do tend to do things quite quickly with them. um, And then I sit back and allow them to process. And I'm very careful not to try to overwhelm them because these, these moves, even though they look like I'm doing nothing, are quite profoundly effective at an energetic level so i will do something if an animal's coming in and they're bouncing off the walls and they're they're ungrounded i might do a couple of moves initially to calm them down because i usually wait until the animal's comfortable before i touch it because because the bowen therapy is a way i communicate with them and they tell me what's wrong but if they're all if they're really distressed i might do something to help calm them down initially that's either with an emergency bush flower spray or a couple of bowen moves and then they'll lie down and they'll relax because like i said you can only have healing where you relax they're often relaxed by the time we've talked because they can see that the person's already unwound and they're comfortable mm-hmm. but when it comes to doing the bowen that's the animal's opportunity to let me know what else might be wrong Because the person's given their view of things and then the animal needs to tell me its view of things. Do you get a sense intuitively 
as well of what they're trying to tell you? Oh, definitely. During the time that the person's talking to me, the animal's often backing them up or contradicting them. (laughs) 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 Or often just surprised. And and, and, and I don't mean that in a bad way. The animals are immeasurably loyal to their people. The The dogs would never do anything that would upset, but they're just happy to have someone who's listening and understanding and able to advocate for both sides it's a bit of a mediation session <laughs> um so so what i notice when i do anything i do i'll tell you a funny story i'll tell you a funny story because i often don't know what i'm doing i really don't know what i'm doing one of the first cases that i had that is mind-blowing for me and that's saying something <laughs> is i was asked to look after a colleague's practice in south australia when i was very very new to this many years ago right back at the start of my homeopathic um, course he was the only homeopathic vet in South Australia and he needed somebody like him to take over and I said look I don't know anything about this he says you know enough you know enough and you're a good person so I went there for six weeks and there was a lady who came in one day um, and as we do we wait for them to let us know what the problem is and we observe the dog and they come in so they they are a standard uh, middle-aged lady and kelpie dog and I said so what's the problem here and she said to me this dog smells so much, I can't even be in the same room with it. And I hadn't noticed that, and I've got a very acute sense of smell, so I just let it play out as I do and listen. And she said, I had to drive here with the windows down in the car. It just stank so much, I couldn't bear it. So we're talking for some time, as I do, and I don't even remember what we talked about, but I was aware at that time that somehow I'd given the animal permission to release whatever was bothering it or upsetting it or there was some shift in the energy in that conversation and and as I said it it was a private conversation It, it could have been about impurity or any number of things in the lifestyle and and then and then because I was thinking about what causes this to happen and and it's distress so then when I came to see the dog I was looking at the dog and I thought oh this dog actually smells really nice, like not just like an ordinary dog, but it smelled like a newborn baby, that really fresh, really beautiful alkaline. And I'm thinking we have different sensitivities. I'm wondering whether she just is smelling something that I can't. And, and I thought, is it the anal gland sniff around the backside? No, that's the usual thing. Is it the breath? No, it's not that. And the dog smelled really nice. And so I said to her, can you come and show me what it is that's worrying you about the dog? about where's the smell coming from and she came over and she smelled the dog and she looked at me and the look on her face was just she's what have you done (laughs) I said I don't know she says but you've done something and I said I don't know I said I said well look this is what we'll do because I was a little bit shocked too because I thought I don't understand what's happened here uh, it was in hindsight I, I realized that I'd given the dog permission to you know get better and then and then I said well look this is what you can do I, I'm going I, I need to go for a walk this afternoon you know I said why don't you take the dog to the park and and have a little walk around and and just see you know whether anything happens or whether it comes back because I'll see you again after lunch and I went out for my walk and I saw this lady walking around the park sniffing the dog stopping <laughs> sniffing the dog <laughs> an hour after I'd seen him so I don't know short answer is things happen things happen and I realize that now and it's it's not me doing it I'm I'm a conduit I'm an advocate I enable and that's a gift and I'm very I'm privileged I'm really privileged 
So somewhere in that conversation and the permission for that dog to heal whatever it was precipitated its own healing. Oh, totally. And they can shift like that. It can be like in the blink of an eye. Sometimes you don't even have to give the medicine. You you just have to enable the energy to move. Yeah. And the symptom will shift. How does that work if you're sensing there's something really major happening between the dog and the owner and you feel that you need to advocate? Is that like a bit of a tricky situation sometimes? It can be. It can be. And I've learnt to be a bit more diplomatic over time because I I remember being told off by an animal uh, who didn't want the person to know. Okay. And because, because the dogs are looking after their people, their loyalty is to their person first and foremost. So I, as I said, I'm just, uh, you know, sometimes they, they get annoyed with me. Sometimes they don't want to talk to me at all. Sometimes they don't realise they can talk to me. But other times they also know that they're hiding something and they don't want their, their people to know because it would just be too much for the person. And that's really hard for me because I'm not always aware of when that happens until after it happens. And then I've got a grieving person or an upset person to have to refer to a grief counsellor as well as a dog that's angry with me and things like that. So it, it, it is a whole range and a whole gamut. You can't do everything in an hour. Yeah. You can start in motion a trajectory of better health, but you can't fix everything straight away. And I am a little impatient sometimes, but often what, I, what I'm saying when I'm talking to somebody because I'm a bit of a chatterbox is coming from the animal and then all of a sudden I realise I've stepped over the mark because the animal's telling me but doesn't want me to tell them necessarily. Um, and more often than not, they're just happy to use me as a mouthpiece. Mm-hmm. But there have been occasions when it's been too overwhelming for the person and then I, I have to step into being um, a human grief as well. Potentially those events happen that may just be the start of a healing journey for that person, whereas they may not ever have had that opportunity to perhaps True. open that space and then get some help with the grief or... True. And coming from a background of caring for people, sometimes those events, even though they're really hard at that moment, can be the seed that's sown for healing down the track. True. And we don't always know that no, it's going to be the no. case. That's the thing. We, we can't know everything and we can't do everything. We can only I, – I do know. I do know that by far and large nearly everybody and every animal, every dog that comes to see me leaves happier than when they arrive. Yeah. And, and I think that's got to be a good thing because in some way they've taken something from that experience that then – energizes or inspires or lifts something that then they have an opportunity to move forward yeah isn't that us humans totally if we've been heard or just to speak sometimes to be heard we we may not get any answers from somebody else but just have the opportunity to be seen and heard can send us on a pathway that's whole lot better than it was before we did that so yeah 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 well that well that's right i mean the homeopathic consultation is founded upon trust and compassion and people will tell you things in the consultation which is which because what's affecting them is affecting the dog and in in a sense this is why i call it a family deal because they they fortunately have enough um, comfort in the situation to be able to offload some of their own grief and then the dog's instantly feeling better. 
Because the dog doesn't have to carry that anymore. Oh, the, the, do, the dog can give that to me and, and I can do something with that because I don't have a, a responsibility other than just to be, you know, letting it slide or offering a medicine. Yeah. So so that that immediately just offloads or down or defrags or whatever the whole situation. Um, and I think that that is the most profound difference between um, what I used to do and what I do now. Wow. As, as a veterinarian. Yeah. Wow. And, and why I'm a lot less stressed now than I was. As a conventional vet, I would have sweat-filled, sleepless nights because that energy was not going anywhere other than into me as distress. And I didn't recognise that at the time, but it's that that total drive to do something and not knowing how to do it and not having time to do it and that energy of tension and anxiety was just hanging there the whole time because I wasn't able to lift it or move it. And now um, when people leave and the dogs trot off down the driveway, <laughs> I feel great. Yeah, <laughs> but be- because it becomes not of you and it gets stuck with you, but it becomes through you like you said, as a conduit. So then you've got that mood, whatever that's been, whether it's grief or anxiety or what have you, your ability to allow that to come through you and leave you and and the conduit perspective is very valuable. And I think that that happens with humans as well. We just, everything gets stuck in us and that's where mm. we go down this cycle. So to be able to let that to come through and out. Mm, and the dogs mm. to let it go, mm. everyone is going to feel better. Mm. And, and that stuckness, that, that obstacle, that obstruction of energy flow is disease, is physical symptom. It's cancers, it's tumours, it's lumps, it's the deeper level, it's organ disease, it's heart failure, it's all those kinds of things yeah. because you're unable to uh, express or release that, that obstacle. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. That, that's incredible. It's, it's most fascinating part, I think, of... All of us that we sometimes it's nearly a new language that perhaps we've not thought about before the energy well, side it's of funny our beings. You say that. Yeah, I do get people who come in to see me who know nothing about homeopathy or anything that I do, and I have to apologise for the language that I use when I'm there. I'm saying, look, I'm sorry, I'm speaking very strange words and very different concepts. But if you're speaking from the heart and not from the mind, then the trust and the the understanding is there, even if you don't listen too much to the words you know that what is being expressed is real and honest and helpful and the dogs the dogs very definitely communicate through that medium i try to use language that is not complicated or too scientific but that's also a bit of a surprise to people who see medical professionals and get a whole range of terminology they don't understand my words are not always understandable, but they're simple. Yeah, and you can feel them, mm. and that's mm. the difference. Mm. Yeah, wow. Mm. Oh gosh, I could just talk about this all day because <laughs> I think it's. I think this is incredible work. I guess also the thing that I really was interested in is the inspiration behind the pause to heal. You've obviously got a strong ethos for yourself. Sure. that you're bringing towards everything that you do. Sure. I um, I started to meditate towards um, the end of 2001 and 
that was a period of profound change in my life, both professionally and personally, because we all go through changes and experiences in our life, you know, divorces and child rearing and all that kind of thing. And I needed more time and space to be with my children. So I was going to leave the veterinary profession to be a parent because it was very important. My kids hadn't seen much of me long hours working as a regular veterinarian. And they were not thriving. And I I was not thriving as a mum because I was principally a vet. My identity was a veterinary practitioner. And so to cut a long story short, I started to meditate to cope with the stressors in my life. And meditation um, through the Sri Chinmoy Centre in Melbourne was the most life-changing experience that I've encountered thus far in as much as it took me from a position of not knowing who I was or what I was doing up to somebody who had a very, very exciting new future that was unknown but beckoning through listening to what, listening to my soul basically. Meditation is about listening to the dictates of your soul and putting your soul back in authority over your life and not some other person or your mind or whatever I had to train my mind to listen to myself it's a work in progress (laughs) (laughs) yes yes it is (laughs) the basis of meditation is to listen to that and that is that is that is something that will never set you astray if you can honestly listen to the dictates of your own soul it will never let you down and so that has formed the basis of everything that I do from the, that point until now, to the best of my ability. It's a work in progress, as are we all, and it's an ongoing, ever-transcending, evolving journey. But along the way, I recognise and say that I am providing service to my fellow beings, and that is the basis of my spiritual practice is to be of service to humanity, of service to the animal. And in the in the meantime, getting enough from the universal heart. And, it, and it's a give and take and win-win situation. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 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 And more yes is there. Absolutely. <laughs> now, I believe that you have received an award this year because of your incredible work, work is a funny word, but everything that you've contributed through the years into this area of your work. Can you just expand on and tell us a little bit about that? Because that's very fascinating. Yeah, that was an unexpected thrill. That that was a real thrill. I was um, president of the Integrity Veterinarians Australia group um, back in 2011. And the IVA, Integrative Veterinarians Association Australia, is a special interest group of the Australian Veterinary Association. And out of the blue, um, I received an email from the current executive from Integrative Veterinarians Australia asking if I would accept a meritorious service award from the AVA. And I was really quite astounded because it was many years ago that that I was doing that and I was doing that uh, service to the AVA because I was a very passionate advocate for 
enabling veterinarians through vet schools to have access to knowledge about complementary medicine or integrative medicine because the public are using it and they want it for their animals and it's a system of medicine that should never be um, disavowed. And so I, I was very, very um, passionate about trying to uh, help other veterinarians understand that, that this is a good thing to learn. And as president of the IVA, um, it was about forging relationships between uh, us as a group, the alternative vets group with the regular vets, just so that we could have some kind of um, bridge or meeting point and have conversations where we could understand each other a bit a bit better because the, the, the gap was widening, you know, the, the void was, was getting bigger and bigger and as, as an organisation uh, we needed to be more cohesive. So I started to have conversations with other vets and try to increase our membership and try to help the vets who wanted to practice the way that I do to have more support sure. and more validation and more access to services. And so over the ensuing five or six years, I would attend the conferences and bring some of the concepts that were part of our practice, like knowledge about the homeostatic mechanisms of the gut-brain access having to be reinstated through gut health, probiotics, all that kind of thing, through a better understanding of the holistic model of medicine where an animal is not just the skin or the hair or the physical aspect but the, the whole being right down to its loyalty to its owner and its heart and its soul and its devotion. So all of those things just to try and indicate that this is an important area of medicine that was being overlooked, that we were disavowing that as a healing practice in its own right, just the knowledge and appreciation of that. And then it got to, I think, 2015, where the theme of the conference was about mental health in the industry because we, we, we were alerted to the fact, and I'd always known this because I've, I've lost a few friends um, through suicide in the veterinary profession, and it's not a subject anybody wants to talk about, but the AVA had started taking this very seriously, and to give them full credit, they initiated a program of mental health and well-being for veterinarians because it's an area that was overlooked as a profession. We weren't obviously supporting each other enough yeah. because we were losing a vet every 12 weeks in Australia wow. and, and that was just unacceptable. Gosh, and so that's huge number. It, it, it is. And I think, I think unless you it's, – it's like everything. I think unless you're at the coalface or unless you know someone or unless you're in the know – you really don't know anything about what's really happening um, because you don't get the information coming through that you need to have. Yeah. And so as, as a profession, we highlighted that um, in, in the most positive way to try and um, prevent that from happening. And so the theme of that year's conference for me was to draw on what I understood from my own spiritual practice, which I think is a very important part of our health, is our spiritual health. And people talk about mind, body and soul without really knowing how to access help. Sure. So um, I used the seven pillars of health from the Ian Gawler Foundation. Um, Ian Gawler was a veterinarian who had cancer years ago and found a spiritual practice and healed himself. He now teaches people how to do that. And so with permission from their foundation, I used that seven pillars of health to 
make it relevant to what we understood as practicing veterinarians now as a model for health and well-being because somebody who gets to the point that they take their own life really are unwell and have so much despair and despondency and low um, self-worth that they that, that that's an option and that should never happen and and I I really believe and feel in my heart that if vets had access or anybody in that situation had access to a spiritual perspective and it became a foundation of their belief system in whichever way that looks like Mm-hmm. they're much less likely to come to grief, yeah. particularly if they have a support network. Sure. So this is a long story. I'll make it shorter. Um, the Meritorious Service Award, <laughs> <laughs> I apologise, was for all of those little things that I did without realising that I was doing it for any other reason other than to be of service. So that's what Meritorious Service is. It's like acknowledging that you have provided a service that is meritorious. And as I said, it came um, just recently Many, many years after I had um, done all those things, I'd forgotten about those things. I didn't do them for any particular reason. I only really accepted the ward uh, this because I, I took it as a way of um, acknowledging that integrative practice and homeopathy are important things to maintain. And I, I accepted the award on behalf of everybody who upholds those, um, those beliefs. Wow, that's incredible. Mm. So you've over many years supported and advocated not only for your animals, of course, but your colleagues as well and yourself, and that takes strength Mm. and dedication, takes tears and laughter. You've obviously given to humanity as much as you have to that, the animals that you care for, which is an incredible feat, that's for sure. Mm. And a very humble recipient, I might add. (laughs) Yeah, well, I I suppose the nature of our work um, requires us to understand that we're really just facilitating, as I said, it's it's service. And and I think the beauty of the the title of the Meritorious Service Award, it, it, it acknowledges that service really is that. It's about offering what you can for the benefit of others. That's what service is. Yeah. It's being of service. Without self-sacrificing, which is what you spoke about previously. where Without, it losing, be- without losing yourself. Yeah. 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 And, and, and if anything, the sacrifice is your time. You know, you, you could be doing a whole range of other things. There, there is a little bit of selflessness. There is selflessness and there is sacrifice, but you're not losing yourself. You're only augmenting yourself. Yeah, because the sacrifice, in a sense, is I could be doing anything, but I choose to do this, mm-hmm. um, and and that that's that's the most positive and most pure form of of if you call it sacrifice. So you're not losing yourself. You're you're deciding to do this because this is also strengthening you and augmenting you. Yeah, and I think that nourishment that you receive every time you see that dog tootle out the door with a little <laughs> skip in his step yeah. is nourishing. It's heartwarming, it's heart-filling. And even though you've given and listened and done those things, you've received in that interaction and that is what makes us smile. It's inspiring. They're, they're, they're so inspiring. I mean, what, what they can do, people look at them and they, they think they, they're on death's door. 
and and they just rise to the and they just and I said, look, this dog might be feeling really bad, but it's not worrying about it. You know, the, their inspiration is so uplifting, so yeah. uplifting. And 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 somebody will think that their dog is is has only a week to live, and it goes on for two years. Yeah. You know? <laughs> because because it's it, it's indomitable. The, the indomitable will of the animal of the dog um, is just inspiring. Yeah. Wow. Mm. Before we close this very fascinating conversation, what would be the funniest thing that you reckon you've ever been told by a dog? Oh, that's 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 a that's a challenge. That's a challenge. I can remember laughing over certain things that other people wouldn't find funny. Um <laughs> But in terms of the funniest thing I've seen a dog do recently is when I was talking to an owner about how to feed it um, uh, raw meaty bones. And it was, it was a really elderly dog that was just weary. Like he just, he's just really worn out. He needed a boost. He needed a little bit of like lifting his energy. And he's just lying on the floor and he's looking at me. And I started talking about feeding, you know, um, some raw meaty bones. And the dog pricked up its ears and it looked at me. And it said, yeah, yeah, you make, make sure, make sure they give me those. <laughs> so I guess that dog, the dog was telling me that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, that, that, yeah you, you tell them, tell them exactly, tell them what I want, you know. Oh, gosh. So that, that was, I'll, I'll never forget that one. So, yeah. That's amazing. I just, mm. this is just absolutely fascinating. I think it's a whole world of communication that perhaps we don't understand as we should, but it's there and... You know, somebody like yourself, which is doing this incredible connection between dogs and their owners and that family unit that comes to see you, is it's just amazing. So thank you. Is there anything else that you would like to uh, speak about today that I haven't asked? No, I think that it's a, a privilege to be able to um, let people know that there are other ways to do things. Um, I think that the information about what integrative veterinarians do is often not um, uh, widespreadly available. People don't realise that these kinds of practices and services are around. And I, I suppose the only thing I'd add to that is to let people feel and understand that there's a lot they can do themselves. You know, they don't, they don't need to be doing a lot of things other than um, providing the basics for the animal um, based on what they feel is the right thing for the animal. Yeah. So a lot, a lot of people feel that they might not be doing everything that they can. I've had some people come to see me recently who have said, oh, look, I've always used homeopathy or always done this, and I just didn't even think I needed to do it for the dog. And, <laughs> and I thought, well, you know, the, the, dog, the dog needs it as much or more than you do. And so not everybody has an awareness of these types of things, and they don't need to have, but they have awarenesses of other things like, oh, you know, I, I might like to do this or I might like to go there. And eventually the dog gets the message through to you that, that it wants to come as well. But I think because you're a package deal, anybody who has a dog knows full well what that dog likes and what it needs. Um, and just, just to spend a little bit more time um, making each other happy. Yeah, it's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Well, thank you. It's 
It's been a real privilege to sit with you today, Dr. Pearson, because I just think we've all got so much to learn and by opening our hearts and our minds to lots of different things that we can bring into our lives, there's lots of things that complement each other and we can use parts of to build a whole. So to have the, you know, the opportunity to speak about this has been just fantastic. So thank you very much. Pleasure.